Let's look to the Lord in prayer for a moment. Father, as uh, we come now to just reflect on some of your word, to lift our hearts before you, Father, in prayer, we ask you to be present with us and to bless us. Lord, help us to turn our contemplations into prayerful adorations. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, uh, this day, of course, has taken on a special significance for many. It's also uh, freely acknowledged that there are believers who reject the idea that there's any uh, special connection between the birth of the Messiah and December the 25th. And we are to respect one another and our opinions in matters of this nature. In Romans chapter 14 and verses 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one obligation that we do all share, no matter what our opinion is, is to honor one another as brethren and to be certain that all our celebrations or our non-celebrations, either one, are holy, harmless, and reverent. That's our obligation. And obviously this year, the Lord's Day and the day in which many generally celebrate the Incarnation fall together. And um, regardless of one's conviction one way or the other, the day should be spent in the joyful adoration of the Lord. And there's no more poignant picture of adoration than that which took place at the birth of the Son of God into this world. So for just a moment today, uh, let's consider together just how we might address our God in the light of this extraordinary event. And that's really my design this morning. Normally, uh, preaching involves addressing men, women, and children in the name of God. But this morning, I hope that you can join me in addressing God as we worship him together. To not think so much of being preached to as perhaps being suggested things that you can adore the Lord for from your own heart. So when something resonates in your mind or in your heart that you hear, that you can join with it and thank God for it and praise him for it and glorify his name for it. And uh, think of all through this devotional, addressing yourself to God and glorifying him. And as we do that, the first thing we would say is that you, Lord, as the one true and living God, are worthy of universal and everlasting adoration. We acknowledge, dear Lord, that everything ought to adore you as God. And the scripture makes it clear that all things do so in one way or another. We have this glorious command in Psalm 148. It says this in that great psalm, Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful psalm that is, commanding praise from the whole creation to the one who is worthy of constant adoration and exaltation. Paul puts it this way, much more succinctly. But Paul says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Anybody know the last word? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'll do it again. We can get the right word there. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so, Lord, we pause today from all the other activities to declare that we know you to be adorable and that you may justly claim our adoration this day and every day, Lord. And there is an eternal, eternal quality to your just adoration. Because before the world was, and long after this world is gone, you, Lord, are adorable and adored. That is, you have always been worthy of, and you will always receive the deepest love and respect from those who truly know you. Moses declared in Psalm 90 and verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Virgin said that the ancient mountains that dominate our world, like the one out to the east here, are like newborn babes in the eyes of God. A new thing compared to himself, the everlasting God. Earth was born but the other day, and her solid land was delivered from the flood but a short while ago. God was when nothing else was. He was God when the earth was not a world but a chaos, when mountains were not upheaved, and the generation of the heavens and the earth had not commenced. So says Spurgeon. King David said this in Psalm 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen.
Praise the Lord. So, dear Lord, receive the adoration of our hearts this morning. Receive it in Christ's name and for his sake. Father in heaven, we also know that your nature is incomprehensible. Your perfections are infinite and your ways are past finding out. You declare through your prophet Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Your servant Job speaks to us of the incomprehensible character of your nature, O Lord. We read in Job 26, verse 12, By his power he stilled the sea. By his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his wind the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? John Calvin, commenting on these words, says, Can we do God a greater dishonor than to go about to enclose his mighty power within the capacity of our wit? Although we should all the time of our life employ our whole wit to the glorifying and magnifying of him, yet it would be impossible to discharge ourselves of the hundredth part of the duty that we owe to him. The duty we owe of praise to you, O Lord. And we acknowledge these two basic aspects of your incomprehensible glory. Your perfections are infinite. Your attributes are infinite, and your ways are past finding out. And those qualities are beautifully and awesomely displayed in the incarnation narrative. Every one of your attributes, O Lord, is highlighted there, beginning with the very nature of your name. In the Gospel of Luke, where Mary sings, she singles out the name of God. She says there in verses 46 through 41, this is, or 49, excuse me, this is Luke 1, we read it a moment ago. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, separate from all other names, beyond all other names, is the name of God. In one statement in the scripture, in this scene, We are called on to admire your sufficiency, Lord, your will and your omnipotency as the sovereign who reigns and rules over all things. One short phrase is meant to draw our hearts to adore the God of heaven in all of those aspects, in his power and his sovereignty and in the exercise of his will. And it's a brief statement. And the angel is the one who says it when he says to Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. In that short statement, we are left to adore our God in his power and in the ability that he has to do all his holy will according to his own will. It's Zechariah 
who reminds us of the witness all of this is to your truthfulness as the God who cannot lie, Lord. In Zechariah, or rather in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 73, Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Everything that Zechariah says there, directs our attention to the truthfulness and the reliability of God in his word. The coming of the Messiah Redeemer is described in your word, O Lord, as the shining of your goodness, your mercy, and your loving kindness on all of us. Again, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 76, And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. We have no greater demonstration, Lord, of your goodness and your mercy and your loving kindness than your sending your sun to shine upon us. And it's also an emblem of your justice, Lord, your great justice. Mary said, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. It is an awesome unveiling of the wisdom and design of his providence as well. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 tell us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And it serves as a great reminder of his presence as well. You remember when Joseph was told what he was to name the child, It was to be Jesus because his name would be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. It grants us also an insight into the fullness of your knowledge of all things, especially the hearts and minds of individuals. We read in that great 139th Psalm about the Lord saying that he, he, uh, David saying through the Lord, the Lord saying through David, excuse me, that uh, the thoughts of our hearts are known by the Lord. But it's evident in this scene. Here is Joseph contemplating in his mind what he's supposed to do. And the angel comes and says to him, don't worry about this any longer. Take Mary to be your wife. Revealing that the Lord knows or knew what Joseph was dealing with in his mind and his heart. And that's on the, on the positive side. He's, he's recognizing or or we're, it's revealed to us the Lord knows what's going on in Joseph's mind as he's pondering these things. 
On the negative side, you have Herod, who has a plan. And in his plan, his determination is to kill the Messiah, this newborn king. And he's plotting in secret. You remember, he calls the wise men in uh, privately and says, go and, and search for the child diligently. And when you find him, come and tell me so that I can worship him too. And then when, it's, when they're done doing that, the Lord speaks to those men and says, don't return to Herod. I know what's in his heart. I know the mouse. Outwardly, he says one thing. Inwardly, he means quite another. Lord knows all our hearts. Lord, you know us. You know what we're thinking. You know what we're contemplating. You know what's, what's, what we struggle with. You know how we love you. You know how we are challenged at times in our faith. Lord, we're so thankful to be known so intimately by you. And as your people who understand this by grace, we go even further. We recognize in a rational way your goodness in your work of creation and your gracious work of sustaining us and all things, Lord. With Jacob, we cry before you today, Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Lord, we pray that with Jacob this morning. We are not worthy of all of your steadfast deeds. And with King David, we cry together, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Father, we are called in this season to behold the exceeding riches of your grace in your kindness towards us by Christ Jesus. In the incarnation, as I said earlier, it's all on display. The glory of God, the riches of his grace, the sweet character of his kindness. It does us good to break it down, to think about it, and to give thanks for the revelation of these things. It helps us to to go beyond just having sort of a scattered, generic view of thanksgiving and gratitude towards the Lord. And we stop and we start breaking this down and think about what ought I be thankful for? What is God revealing about himself here? What, is, what has he told me? What has he done for me? When we break that down, it allows our thanks to become more specific and our adoration to become real. You can, Lord, and you do supply our every need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. By sending your son to die for us, We have become, as it were, trophies of the riches of your grace. Just pause for a minute and think about that. Every one of you who are in Christ here this morning, he has made you, according to his word, a trophy of his grace. (coughs) And we know, (coughs) excuse me, that we didn't get there by anything, any work of our own, by any means of our own. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Your kindness, O Lord, is a thing easily overlooked. In the verse I just quoted, it refers to a complete and utter sense of usefulness. That's what the kindness, your kindness to us, Lord, is. It is a complete and utter usefulness. Everything that is a part of what you have done for us and who you are is useful to us. What you did in the incarnation is a great kindness because it's useful to us in every way. It's wonderful and it's mysterious. It's thorough and it's satisfying. It produces joy and wonder and it blesses us with reverence and with hope. The one thing that we needed most, unconditional love, was given to us and displayed to us in this great work of the incarnation. Here in his love, not that we loved you, Lord, but that you loved us and sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. We were your enemies, Lord, and you made us sons and daughters. We were hated by Satan, and you delivered us from his malice and his anger and his harm. We hated each other, and you taught us to love one another. In the end, if you had not sent your son to change us, we would find ourselves under the just judgment of your hand and bitterly loathing ourselves. But you sent your son, and you delivered us from it all, and its usefulness is beyond expression. In 1 John 3, verse 1, John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. May none of us, dear Lord, as William J. says, out of ignorance or worldly-mindedness, presumption, self-righteousness, or despondency, ever disregard our Savior. But may we adore you as the one who teaches us daily, as the one whose sacrifice for us gives us forgiveness and peace for the guilt of sin. May we hear and obey and not be overwhelmed by the sorrows of this world as those who have no hope or no joy of eternal life, sealed to them by the blood of Christ. No, Lord, may we rejoice as those who are sealed to you in him by his blood. Reflecting upon his grace in becoming poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. May we be generous and love one another, doing whatever good we can for all. This is our prayer, O Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's turn to hymn number 215 and sing together. <laughs>